0: Um, welcome to the last of the tutorial sessions um, and I'm aware this is the fourth of four tutorial sessions and it is also the fourth of four tutorial sessions all by Green Mary looking at different games frameworks. So I think the first thing that is worth doing is clarifying where does the tabletop tag fit into that? given that we've just been through or for those of us those people who have been paying attention for the whole afternoon we've had a number that looked at strategia and gridley and others so the purpose of the tag is to it, it's a rather wide set of games we're interested in any modern board game this is basically any board game that is commercially released over the last 20 years which is a, a very wide range because you you have perfect information deterministic games, you have card games, you have games with a board, you have games which are about bluffing. So what that really means, if we compare it to some of the um, other frameworks, if we compare to, say, GVG AI, um, you know, which is grid-based and a single player, um, and we are very much multiplayer, and the closest possibly is the Ludi framework, uh, which is, is quite an, an, an amazing piece of work, um, And certainly we don't come anywhere close to the level of sophistication they have. What we focus on, though, is rather than classic board games, um, we look at the more modern ones, which tend not to have a board and tend to be more card-based, with more player interaction through through different mechanisms. In particular, I think about about three quarters or so, of the Ludi games are two-player only, whereas the games we're looking at are inherently often three, four, up to eight or even ten players and then versus strategy or gridly, we are they, they focus much more on the grid based games uh, with real-time strategy and Stratega in particular and obviously we are not we do a lot of our games don't have boards they are they don't have anything quite like that clear um, grid based structure so because of the wide range of Games that we're trying to cover, what that does mean is that we don't have any nice neat YAML config for a game as we've seen earlier this afternoon. Implementing a new game, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, does involve writing Java code. So there will be quite a lot of Java code as we go through today. The other thing I will say quite upfront is the GUI is not exactly state of the art, it's Java. Uh, it's really there at at its best it gets to the barely functional level uh, which we will show um, later Um, and then also we are not at the moment there's nothing in the framework that really supports reinforcement learning approaches although that's certainly something I know some people have expressed an interest in it focuses much more on implementing forward models for these sorts of games for planning um, algorithms such as Monte Carlo Tree Search or Rolling Horizon evolutionary methods So what I would like to do, um, is, you'll notice, we've just got two slides here. The objectives of this tutorial really are to try and introduce and break down any barriers to people trying to play with the tabletop games framework. As we're aware, there's a bit of a barrier because it's not just pure config. We have also taken the opportunity to try and improve our documentation and we'll be launching a new website shortly after this. So this is the first test of this. Uh, So what I would like to do is let me just put that website link into the Discord chat channel.
1: Oops, that doesn't work.
0: Uh, Uh, Raluca, could you possibly uh, chat that link into the Discord chat channel? I'm having a few technical issues. Um, But I'll be going through that, but the idea is that that Uh, We're using that rather than slides so that we can uh, check that all of our documentation is reasonably up to date. The other thing we have then is a Discord channel, and uh, here we go, got it, and thank you Raluca. We also have a Discord channel, so please do feel free to join. Raluca and I and various others are usually hanging around there and are not very happy to answer questions. In fact, if anyone asks this question, we'll pounce on you and answer it in about three different ways. The next thing I wanted to do uh, is the aim of this tutorial really is to go through what you need to do to implement a new game. Now, what we found at Queen Mary this has been useful for is we've had a couple of undergraduate uh, Projects that have been using the tabletop games framework and also a few master's theses. So, in particular, the two most recent games of poker and blackjack have both been implemented by undergraduates. And we've got Sushi Go and we've got Settlers of Catan, which are both coming from master's uh, students. So, it may be useful for other people um, as a potential framework for use. Additionally, then go through the implementing AI agents in tag and how those can be optimized. And if anyone is interested in running any sorts of AI experiments or need any sorts of experiments on the existing games, then we can also cover that. What I wanted to do, therefore, in a slight attempt at being interactive, is for those people, if I put this in the Discord channel, we have a quick poll. So what I would like you to do is, if you are paying attention, if you could fill in that poll, which just has two questions. One of which is, what are you most interested in getting out of this? Session, and secondly, uh, an understanding of your Java experience. Not that that will actually change much, but so we have at least have an idea of, of where the audience is on that. And let me also put that into the uh,
1: chat channel. Hold on, there we go. Oh, thank you, Rudolf. I've already done.
0: Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is the only poll. So uh, uh, if everyone, I'll give you a couple of minutes to fill that in. Um, while people are filling that in, what I will do is take a risk and actually run the, the, one of the main front ends, just to show you how amazing state-of-the-art GUI isn't. So this is also, if you want to follow along at home, this is the executable, or well, the zip file, which contains the executable that I put in the Discord channel about 10 minutes ago. Here we go. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Now, let us run, just say, for example, Dots and Boxes. Let's just stick as two players and make one of them a human GUI player. So we can play that. Now, in this case, Dots and Boxes is a game where you click on two dots and join them with a line, and then our random opponent does something else. I can then do another one you can see in the top right, we've got just the history of all the actions being played. And unsurprisingly, the random player is not doing very well. And then when I oops, fill a box, that gives me a point. So you can see my player score has now gone up to one. And because I've got a point, it's my turn to play another edge. So that's one example. Um, and this is one of the games I want to use as a case study to go through in the code, just to clarify how this is. Is set up. Um, but before we do that, let's just go and have a check on see how many people have
1: filled in that survey. Hopefully, this is visible.
0: We have 11 people who have answered it. Excellent. Um, and no one wants to have a quiet sleep, which is very encouraging. Um, okay. So it's a pretty even split and excellent. We do have some Super Ninja Java gurus on the call. Uh, So if you spot any errors in the code, um, please don't state it publicly, but private message me and we'll get them fixed. Good. Let me just check anyone else. Nah, right. So... What that also means is if we've we've got an audience of um, 10 to 11 people, then please do feel free just to chat. And and I'm very happy to divert into any any interesting cul-de-sac that you're interested in. So if we go back to this GUI, so that is an example of dots and boxes. And there's three games I want to run through because they show different areas. Another one is, where are we? Um, love letter and let us make that a three player game and let's take a risk and put Monte Carlo Tree Search Agent in and Ah, let's let's leave it for the defaults before something goes badly wrong and if we play so this is a a slightly more sophisticated um, GUI and love letter you always have one card and on your turn the first thing you do is draw a card and you can see we now have two cards. Um, and then what you have to do is you have to play one of those two cards. So in this case, I can discard the prints. And then I would draw a card. And I would click this button at the bottom to do that. Or this other, there we go, guard. Um, there we go. OK, well, let's just do that one. And draw a card. Ah, So this one. Uh, because it's a guard I have to click on another player and then I can guess what card they have. And I'll make something at random and the game proceeds. So I won't go any further but the, the idea of the this, this GUI is very much more as a use aid in, in debugging more than anything else to make sure the games are working. Um, and then the final one that I want to run through as a case study is, there we go, Dominion. So, and again, There we go. Resize a bit to get the history window up. Here we have a hand of five cards uh, with an amazing graphical representation. And on your card, initially you will play actions on the cards in your hand. At the start of the game you have none, so you just end the current phase. And then I have an option to buy a card. So I buy a card um, and we can see it runs round and the other players buy a moat in the village. Um, And then the second turn I will play a smithy, buy a smithy. And then when it comes back to me, I now have a smithy in hand. So in the first phase, I now have an option of playing that card. And here on the left, we have a record of how many of these cards are available still to buy. Um, So let us... So I don't want to go through that in detail. This is just an indication of the the quality of the GUI. Um, It is barely functional and it's mostly useful for um, debugging. So you can try that at home with the executable. The second thing I want to go through then is I think because we did have the majority of people how to implement a game. Now, if you look at the tabletop game site, um, we have a number of games currently implemented and a few more in progress. But on the wiki, this is where we hopefully have a reasonably good up-to-date set of information to get in. So we. I want to do is go through this and use this as a basis. So if we have creating a new game and first steps is there we go. Now this diagram is reasonably key so the blue or the grey blue bits are the bits that would need to be implemented and the size of the box is a rough estimate of how much effort is involved and the two important bits are your game state and your forward model. And often those are the only two, and actually the others can shrink down to be very small op classes. The game state is responsible for any, well, the clue's in the name, any mutable state in the game. So uh, the state of any cards, the current score, um, anything that will change as the game proceeds. And then the forward model is responsible for the game's rules. So the general principle is that the game state is mutable and the forward model has no state at all but it is applied to the game state to advance the game so we have a that there can be a rather grey area sometimes between the two but having one of the two objects does help cut down some spaghetti. The actions are the third important thing and that is also where the game logic needs to be coded and then what will happen is the, the forward model Will advance the game state, and usually it will advance the game state by picking an action and then applying the action to the game state, which would simply call a method on the action to implement to to execute the code. Now, if we first time we go so implement core classes, there is a, a detailed example here on a game called Fubar. The crucial bit, I just want to, here we look at the the forward model, there are three key methods that need to be implemented. Um, The the last two are actually that crucial in most games. So the first one is setup. So forward model simply sets up the state with how it should look at the start of the game. The second one is the next method, which applies an action to a state, and then also applies any game rules, such as checking is the game over, have I moved? Have I changed the phase of the game? Have I moved from playing cards to drawing cards, for example? And also it then moves to the next player uh, where that's required. The game state has really, you know, most of the game state is going to be entirely game-specific. The the one crucial method is the copy method, which we'll go into in a little bit more detail later, which because a lot of this is on a planning basis, we always need to be able to do a deep copy of a game state so that we can, say, Monte Carlo Tree Search, we can take a copy at the root, and then we can apply theoretical actions to that state to advance it to see where we would end up, but without changing anything in the original game state that we were provided with. So that copy method needs to make sure it does a deep copy of anything that is mutable in the game state. Apart from that, most of the rest... Is, is game specific uh, which will be clear as we go through some examples so what I want to do now is to zoom to the actual code base and just go through those three example games of dots and boxes love letter and dominion to illustrate a few points on how those are implemented um, And before I do that there is one more thing which is worth emphasizing On the wiki, there is a list of implemented games, and on that page, what we've done is there's two missing, which are the two added of the last couple of weeks, the poker and blackjack. And what this does is it shows all the games, if you're looking for a game that might provide a useful template for one that you want to implement. So this shows them an increasing order of complexity, roughly, in terms of the lines of code. Um, the actions is how many different action classes there are so tic-tac-toe and dots and boxes just have a single one because you either put put your mark in a box or you draw a line whereas down to Dominion there are 30 different action classes and then a few comments on the particular features of the game that might make it interesting or a useful model or template for one that you're looking at okay so um, and then in the code base, you can see that if we look at Dominion Love Letter, we all have a, a common structure, which is one that should be copied really. Uh, you've got your game state, you've got your forward model, and you have your turn order. Uh, forward model, game state, and turn order, and then, then parameters. And, um, the, the game itself is pretty empty and has hardly any code, and then actually isn't fully needed. So let's have a look first of all at that first example, which is dots and boxes, as the simplest perfect information game. Um, There it is. So if we look at the game state first, um, what we'll see is that this sets up the edges and cells, and maps, how those map to each other, so that we know where players can draw lines between two of them. And it includes then effectively the cells per player, which effectively is the score of how many cells that player has completed. And that's, it's not a huge, as you can see, apart from this um, Java um, boilerplate, Um, The copy method is very straightforward. This is a slightly special case because dots and boxes, once you've filled a box or once you've put an edge in, that can never be removed. So we can be slightly less careful about copying everything because once we have an edge or once we fill the cell, there is no possible action that can undo that. So we don't actually need to uh, do a full deep copy necessarily. Um, Then if we look at the forward model that corresponds to that, so we have three crucial methods of the forward model setup, which I won't won't go through that, that sets up all of the the links between the possible uh, edges. Then we have the next function, and this has three responsibilities. The first one, which is dealt with in a single line here, is simply to take the action and apply it to the state. And that logic is generally not in the forward model, but it is in the action itself. And then that will update the state directly. So that's responsibility one dealt with. The second responsibility, which is this section, is to check, has the game finished? Which is actually far more lines of code, um, which simply checks, have we now populated all the cells that can be um, populated? And then finally, the, we determined whose go it is next, and generally speaking that will default to the, de, the default turn order, which is player one takes their move, then player two, then player three, and then back to player one clockwise around the table. However, in dots and boxes there's one special case which is if the current player has just completed a cell, then you know they get to go again, so in that case um, if we've just updated a cell Sorry, if the the number of cells we've got is the same we we default but if that's changed it means we've just got a point so we get another go so we don't change who the current player is
1: okay the next any questions on that um, before i move on to the slightly more complex situation in love letter
0: So in the love letter game state, there are two interesting things that are implemented here. That, because love letter, first of all, it now has two distinct phases. First of all, you draw a card and then you uh, play one of your cards. So here we now implement a phase that we will we'll have the, the main phase of playing, but we will have a draw phase when you draw a card. And that is something now the forward model will need to make sure it tracks. And then, secondly, we have this. We now you have partial information because some of the actions you can take in Love Letter mean you get to peek at another player's card, so you know what the actual value is of what would otherwise be a hidden card. Mm -hmm. And the way that is set up is we have a number of components within the framework, and probably one of the most useful ones is a, a partially observable deck, which allows you to, without writing any too much code, keeps track of the visibility of the decks to each player and also the individual cards or any any individual object, they don't need to be cards. You can have a deck of train carriages, for example, as we have in Cult Express. Um, So here we we set up the various uh, piles of cards um, as decks. And then we have a couple of extra, um, the the key, what affection token is actually the score. Um, the number of defection tokens you have is your your current score in Love Letter, and then if we look at the um, the copy, this now introduce, as well as doing a deep copy of all of these, because unlike in the Dots and Boxes case, now all of these you know, decks will change as the game proceeds. So we need to make sure we copy them uh, so that we don't have any hanging references. Um, The other thing we have is the we now have some partial observability. So the crucial argument in the copy is the player ID. If that's minus one, then what that means is we want to copy the complete state as if we could see everything, so not changing anything at all. If that is a player number, so zero, one or higher, then what that is saying is we want to copy the state from the perspective of that player. And that's what this code is doing in this bracket, uh, which is most of the code within the copy function. Um, because what that's doing is it needs, to resh- it needs to shuffle and redeterminize all of the cars that the player can't see. Because it knows what cards that can exist, but it doesn't know where they are. Uh, and the way that's done, without going through this in detail, is here we go. First of all, we put we take the draw pile, and we add into the draw pile any card that we know is not visible to the player and then once we've added all the unseen cards into the draw pile we give it a shuffle and then we draw cards from that back into all of the places that we took those cards from and that means that we've copied the state but we've also reshuffled all of the data that the player can't see um, so that is probably one of the more the errors that introduces more complexity into the copy function and that's it on the copy. If we look at the the forward model, then we have,
1: let me see, where
0: were we? Oh, there's rather more code here, a lot of helper functions to ensure that we, um, here we go. So the setup is very straightforward. Um, well, and then set up only any additional data here. Um, um, there we go, and then the next is very similar. That, that yeah, you know, we take the action and we execute it, and now we have to take account of the game phase as our second responsibility. And in which case, we if we're in the draw phase, we move on to the main playing card phase, and if we're in the main playing card phase, then we set to be the draw phase. And we move on to say it's now the next player's turn. So every player will first of all draw a card. That will then, when that is advanced, it will prompt the forward model to move the game phase forward. And then, after we've taken an action, the forward model will move back to the draw phase and move on to the next player. The other, th- the other crucial thing within um, is the the other crucial responsibility of the there we go, the forward model is the computing actions. So the forward model is responsible for saying what actions are possible from a current game state. Now, in this case, as you can see, it's quite straightforward, That what we are saying is in love letter, we, if we're in the main phase, and so we're playing a card, then all we need to do is go and this, what this will do is look at all the cards in our hand, which can only be two, and return a list of those two possible actions we can take. Otherwise we're in the draw phase, it's actually very trivial. The only thing we can do is draw a card. So we return um, a, a, a list which contains a single draw card action. And actually after the rows, we forgot to look at that in the dots and boxes. So we quickly skip back in here. It's much more straightforward. The actions are available in any one state, but just at all the possible edges, check to see has something been drawn here already? And if not, then uh, it's a possible action. So we can return a set of actions that includes all currently unfilled edges. Um, I'll pause there for any questions on anything we've covered so far before I move on to Dominion, which is a probably the more complicated of the three examples I wanted to, to introduce as case studies. Okay. Now, Dominion game state is again we have two phases. We have a whole set of piles of cards, which again we're using partial observable deck because there are certain situations where some cards in a deck are known to some players and not to others. The
1: right. there's
0: a whole load of stuff here. So, obviously, a lot of these are just helper methods that the forward model or actions can call to update the state. Um, and let me just go to the copy function. There we go. Um, so, again, this does something very similar that if the player ID is minus one, then it does a simple global copy, and otherwise, we need to shuffle everything in to a single, a single pile, shuffle it together and then deal that back out to the possible places it could be so that we have a, a redeterminized the actual state of the game.
1: Um, and then the forward model,
0: again, next. Very similar, we execute the action. And then here you can see that if we're in the play phase, we play cards. And in this case, it's slightly more complicated because a player can play a number of cards depending on how many actions they have, which we track in the game state of the actions they have left. And only when that hits zero um, or they say I've finished, do we then move the game phase on to buy for that player. And then if we're in the buy phase, again, a player might have a number of, number of buys, one or more. So we need to make sure we don't move the, the end of turn until we've gone through all of those buys. So that a player may have several actions on their turn before we move on to the, um, we the end of turn on that player, which will um, then go through and do some housekeeping to clear up after the end of that player's turn, and then use the turn order to um, trigger moving to the next player. So that was a quick run through the three, the the crucial game state and forward model. Um, Let me just go back to, here we go. So the next thing I wanted to do, I'll, I'll pop back to Actions later, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few extra tweaks there. The, the other thing we have as well is a few coding guidelines and conventions. Now, this is one of the things we found, particularly with um, undergraduate students um, is, programming when you're using a forward model requires a slightly different mindset to standard coding practices so this is really aimed at a, at a few uh, perhaps a lot of people on this this tutorial will, will this will be um sucking eggs for you but what we try to do is put a few hints as to how you should code for a forward model and in, the most important thing is always remember that when you with a forward model you need to be able to do a deep copy of everything so the one thing you need to avoid doing is using object references um, outside the, the single re- the single core reference. And the, the simple example is consider you have object A, which might be a game state, and an object D, which might be an action. And if object A references object B and, objects and object C, then if we copy object A and doing a deep copy, that means we're also copying object B and copying object C. So we now have a, a C prime that is referenced from A prime. But if we have another object um, that also references object C, then if we do a deep copy on that, it will now create a new object, C double prime, when actually we need these two to both point to the same thing. And and that is a a very common uh, mistake for newbies coding for forward model. So an example, the, the way to avoid that is to avoid using any object references. Uh, but to use primitives that we can then look up the object in the, you know, the, the, the class that is responsible for maintaining the actual central copy. So the example here is draw card. Now, this is, a, this is something that's available in the framework. It uh, can be used by any game. And it, the crucial thing is that it says we are taking a card from a deck to another deck, and we're taking it from a position in the first deck to a different position in the second deck. And the crucial thing is that each of those is an integer. And what that refers to is a component reference. So within the framework, every single component, um, such as a deck or or an individual card or a piece on the board or a, a piece of the board, has a component ID, which is a unique reference assigned when that is first created. And when we copy a game state, we keep all of those component references. And that's all done in the background in the framework so that, in this case, we don't keep a reference to the deck in the action. What we do is we keep this component ID. And then when we execute that action, what we can do is we get the actual deck by calling the game state and getting the component by ID. And what that means is that when we copy the draw card action, we don't need to do a copy of the deck because that was the responsibility of the game state. The game state has the master copy of the deck and that will do the deep copy. And then when we need it in the action, we will ask the game state to give us the current version by feeding it the component ID. And so then this actually, I realized going, this is actually, um, we do copy Uh, this but we don't need to because actually could easily be changed with some immutability because if we can create an object which is immutable which has nothing that can ever change once once it's been created then that saves us an awful lot of effort and bugs because we no longer need to actually worry about copying it because it can't change we can just return the reference so that draw card could equally be changed so these are all final can't change and then when we copy we can just return itself we don't need to waste any computational cycles doing a copy because we know this draw card action is immutable and will always refer to the same deck and the same cards the other thing that uh, two other things i think are useful here so a lot of it's uh, get some pointers to people um, is we also then have the hidden information where are oh, there we go hidden information um i we touched on this earlier looking at love letter the crucial contract i suppose we have in in tag is is summarized by these three bullet points and and it's other choices were possible but these are the ones we've taken so in the game state any information that the player knows is, is correct and any information the player does not know is randomized across all possible values what that means is that an agent or an ai player could actually interrogate is, is allows to look at the card in its opponent's hands but all it will get is a effectively a random set of cards that they could be and um, and the game state will also clearly mark what which of those cards we do the agent does know and which of them we don't know um it's it could be made more sophisticated at the moment there's no way of saying you know, what the possible values are of a card. We just give a current a possible determinization across all of the possible ones. So I won't go through that. If you're interested in that, look at that in more detail. Um, the third thing I wanted to do in terms of these coding guidelines was to run through uh, and ex- look at some ex- actions. So we have this facility for extended action sequences, which we use in Dominion. And the best the idea here is that frequently, um, is was to try and avoid forward model becoming too bloated with code. That often, what this provides a way, uh, we have a whole set of actions that are actually linked to each other. And Taking action one affects action two. So in Dominion, for example, if I play a militia card, it's my action. But then, first of all, every other player gets to defend against it. And if they don't defend against it, they then have a further action which decides which cards they want to discard. And only once all of those actions that like cascade has been m- implemented is this control return to me to continue my go now that's the sort of control that if we look at let me just go back to there we go no this picture you know we could control all of that in the forward model and the turn order but it, it doesn't make much sense it makes much more sense to encapsulate all of that logic in the action so the extended action sequence allows the action to basically tell the forward model and to tell the turn order that hold on chaps i'm taking control for a while so that i can keep all of the code for this sequence of actions in one place and not have it spread across multiple classes and it makes debugging often a lot easier and also avoids um forward model becoming bloated with all of the 30 50 different actions and different states that you could be in so i won't go into that in any more detail given time but if you're interested do go and have a look at um the documentation and in particular look at some of the examples of the implementation in dominion okay so that that is a quick run through so far of creating a new game the implemented games and a few coding guidelines and conventions. What I'll move on to now um, in the last few minutes or 15 minutes or so is AI play as optimization. Before I do that
1: any questions from anyone? Okay. And there are some questions in the chat. Ah sorry I have not seen those hold on let me
0: Ah, sorry, I I apologies, it was hidden by my um by my camera.
1: Ah, yes, John Franco, perfect, perfectly timed question. Um, cool, okay.
0: Good, thank you, Raluca. I think those are all answered. So I will now, if we look at creating an AI player. So the basics, there are some similarities here to what we were looking at in Stratega with Diego earlier. Um, There is a single method that a player needs to implement, which is shown here for the the simplest player, which is the random player. And it's simply the get action. And the get action will be fed by the game, by, by the framework, two things. First of all, the actual game state and secondly the list of available actions that are you know, can be run can be used and in this case we just take a random one um, now in terms of the other agents currently implemented there is a basic um, there's a one-step look ahead agent there is a um, hill climb a very simple random mutation hill climbing agent and probably the most sophisticated is the monte carlo tree search agent um, but this is the one that you can use to implant an agent. And let me just go and show you in the code base the relevant sections. So if we look at core, then we have in the interfaces, oh, wrong one, players, of course it is. Just close those down. So in under players, we have, um, here we go. So we have, this is where we will find the um, yeah, the MCTS player, the rolling random mutation hill climbing player, and where um, are they? simple, that's where they are. And then here we have the random player and the, the Osler player or using a, a custom heuristic. So effectively, that's it for implementing an agent. There is nothing more to it. Um, than implementing an abstract player which implements whatever functionality you want to get action um, and then taking the state and taking the action list
1: the, what is
0: worth mentioning then I think is access points um, but actually John Franco is there anything else in particular since you were asking about that um, anything you were, does that have any follow-up questions other than that rather simple one method answer So well, the thing that does lead on to, I think, neatly, is running games. So we've looked at briefly the, the current front end, um, which is very rough and ready gooey, really for just checking things work and kicking the tyres. Um, the other things we have, there's a round-robin tournament approach so you can set up several agents and then run them in a round-robin against one game for any number of players. And similarly... So this is where you have a multiple, you want to compare or you have a tournament between different players. The other one is game report two um, for historical reasons. And this can be run for one game, for a list of specific games, or for every single game in the framework for every single player count if you want to. And this is used if you want to specify a particular agent and then get some interesting, get some data out about how is that performing, or how are the games executing. At the moment, the default will provide you with a whole set of things like branching factor, proportion of hidden information, um, um, the average action space over the game. The two things I think are useful here are that when you're running around Robin, there is a way that you can specify agents and JSON files that will then be automatically processed and instantiated by the framework. Uh, It's worth a quick look at that. Some of them are quite simple. So here at the random player, if you provide a class which is just uh, has a a zero argument constructor, then that will instantiate the agent and you're good to go. You can also um, make this slightly more sophisticated. So rather than just having a class which implements the abstract player, in this second example, this is a heuristic agent. Um, But what we're doing is we're also specifying the the heuristic to use. Um, so it's a one-step look-ahead heuristic, but then it says, for Colt Express, I want to use this specific heuristic using these values. And this will work in JSON as long as the class, Osler heuristic, implements um, or extends rather tunable parameters. And In that case, you can then specify settings in JSON, and then that can just be loaded up and you can compare those agents. And it's worth quickly looking at that um, for tunable parameters because it's actually very straightforward to set up. Um, If we quickly actually, let's look at that exact example. Uh, If we look at Cult Express Games, Cult Express, Cult Express Heuristic. So here we can see Cult Express Heuristic um, extends tunable parameters. And all we need to do is, as well as defining them within the code, is use the add tunable parameter provided by the tunable parameters base class and provide the name and the default value. And also just implement the reset method that makes sure that we set up the value in this class, or in the actual object rather, with the value that has been set up um, if one has been injected. And and that's it. That's all you need to do for tunable parameter. You add a tunable parameter in the constructor and then make sure that you read that in in a reset method. And once you've done that, you can then, as we saw, on the, you can quite happily configure that in JSON as to what particular values you want to use for those and compare. Um, There's also something else you can do if you've done that, which I will um, quickly go into, which is you can also... They're called tunable parameters because obviously you can also tune them. Um, and we have a parameter search as a third um, way in. And what this does is it provides a way of automatically tuning, using an optimization algorithm, anything we define as being tunable. So in this case, we can equally well feed an adjacent file to parameter search that here we have. If we have a single value, then that is the value, in this case, the random rollout type. But we have max tree depth, and we say it can be any one of those five values. And in fact, we have nine different ones here. And then parameter search will tune using NTB, but it could easily be um, amended to implement additional optimization algorithms and tune that to find what gives a good win rate as we vary all of tune all of these parameters. In this case, the Monte Carlo tree search agent, um, or lower down, we can also do that of something in the Monte Carlo tree search agent while simultaneously also tuning, say, settings on a heuristic. Um, at the moment, no, because the, at the moment, the only optimization algorithm we have is NTBIR, which has a set of discrete values. Um, so and hence at the moment everything is discrete if we were to, to also enhance that to add something like a Gaussian process optimization which can take a range that would be the point at which we want to augment this to make sure that we can do that but at the moment the only optimization algorithm insists on a set of discrete values and we, we found that not to be a major problem um, because usually you can just set up a few uh, discrete values and if, if and, and then widen the range if needed Okay, so that was optimizing a player. So I think where we were before I got distracted. Ah, yes, there was one more thing, which was running games. So ways in, so we're running the tournament. We've covered that you can define agents in JSON files, and you can also use separate JSON files to tune agent parameters on one game in particular. We also have this an iGame listener, So in both of these cases, and it's more useful for the game report, you can feed in objects that implement the game listener interface, and that is a way of extracting data, because usually the data you want to extract from a game is quite specific to that game. Um, it, it tends not to generalize so well. So what the iGame listener interface does for reporting is you can feed that in on the command line as a class name, and it will then listen to standard events from the game, the start, the end, when a round finishes, when an individual player's turn has finished, and also every time, if you want to, every time a player makes a decision, which can be useful if you're actually interested in extracting data about the depth of the Monte Carlo, of the the tree, or some other characteristics of the decision process. Um, And let me give a very quick example of that uh with i think the only one i think we've got implemented currently in the master branch which is in dominion there we go dominion listener so yeah this this illustrates this is a implements game listener um it then well this is actually only interesting game over events i mean we, we could have put in end of turn at this individual decisions but we're only interested listening to the game over events, and every time a game finishes, we then get the state, and then we um, use this logger. And we have a again, you can put your own log. You can anything that fulfills the Isotistic logger interface can be used. Uh, we have two defaults. One of which just does a summary printout to the screen. Um, and then file stats logger, which is the more commonly used one, just writes it to a CSV file that you can then take into Excel or R or Python or your data processing tool of choice uh, for, for further processing. Uh, but equally, one of those could be written right to a database or to, to a GUI or anything else you wanted to do. Um, and here we all we do is we look at the, the Dominion game attributes, and this is simply a set of Lambda functions. Uh, so each of these will just be called for the state and the action, um, and output, you know, a a piece of data that could be a double, it could be a string, it could be a boolean, and that will then, yeah, you know, be re- if we filled in using a logger, that will then create a csd file with one line for each game, indicating in this case what how many provinces were left, how many duches were left, and how many estates were left. At the end of each game, um, using a you know, very game specific uh, lambda function in this case, so uh, that was um, a, a quick run through. Um, I think I've covered everything I wanted to do, I uh, think. Um, not yet um, in terms of people implementing their own game ideas. Uh, actually that 's not quite true. Um, we are i'm currently working with a game designer to use this as a te- to help design a game so it's a slightly it's a halfway house so it, it, it will be a game and in fact we're hoping that you get retail release in q one but what we're doing is we're using the tabletop games framework to implement the game and also then use the ai agents to try and balance it um, and just make sure that it, it it doesn't have any really broken bits that haven't been caught by human play testing. Um, but apart from that, uh, no. I think that there's a whole. It'd be very interesting. And I was to trying to use any of this for PCG or um, or game generation. Uh, but at the moment, no. If you're interested, we'd love to help. Okay. Um, I think that's it so i'll just I'll let me just refer. so again please do feel free to browse the website um we will be putting that live uh, in the next week or so and the discord channel as i said we are always very help very happy to answer any questions anybody has uh, so please do use the discord um, so i will leave any questions from anyone or anything that people would like a little bit more insight into that i've had to skate over very quickly just by by the nature of the time slot that we've had thanks John Franco um yes it's uh, this is the work. I should give a shout out both to Raluca who was, I think it was one of the original ideas and also Martin Baller um, Alex Dockhorne and uh, Raul Montolio, who have all contributed games, as well as the undergraduate students and the master's students who've helped. So thank you to everybody who has actually put a game in. Um, I think we are trying to add yet more as we go.